the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The biggest pop culture movement since the Beatles, $22.5 billion at the box office, and we found the one guy who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. With two fellow MCU nerds to help guide his hand along the way, one thing is for certain, we're with him until the end of the line. Welcome to Colin Brain versus the MCU. On your left, hello and welcome to your new favourite MCU podcast designed for your ear holes. Phase two, baby. Shit is about to get <laughs> real. Uh, that's right. Phase one is complete. We are six films into this endeavour. Uh, you guys at home listening to this, you won't know this, but we've actually taken a break for a couple of weeks to sort of get ourselves refreshed. And now we're jumping straight back into the swing of things with Iron Man 3. So as always, before we kick off proceedings, please allow me to introduce my fellow co-hosts. A famous man once said, we create our own demons. Well, that's not true in all cases, as I just happened to meet this one at university many, many years ago. Uh, it's Robert Trot. Rob, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. That is possibly the best introduction I've received ever. <laughs> I'm proud. Good. I'm very proud of that. Good. So um, we've got it now. I've got it noted just here in my notes. So obviously we have to discuss your your nickname this week because we are doing these conversations over Zoom. Uh, so I, I forget what we've had all in the past. Blokey is always in my head just for how horrendous that was. <laughs> um, Ivan, Ivan, was it Ivan, Ivan Wanker or something like that? <laughs> Ivan Wanko. Yeah. Yeah. I, brilliant. Fantastic. So for Iron Man 3, um, who are you this week? This week I am Unhappy Hogan. Because Hogan is very unhappy in Iron Man 3, so I'll... He didn't get to direct. And, he, well, he chose not to, but, yeah. <laughs> oh, for fuck's oh, sake. Already. I haven't even introduced yet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Colin. <laughs> uh, I, I, was, I would rather be a, a point to segue into this, but, yes, there was an audio commentary fact for um, this blu-ray um so shane black and drew pierce the director and writer respectively um talked about john favreau's appearance on the set and um, said there was an emotional day and he got very uh upset at being on set but not being able to direct handing over the reins, so to speak yeah mm. um so i think he went on to do Cowboys versus Aliens instead of one of these other Marvel movies, which wasn't very good. Good and, choice. Um, <laughs> yeah, and instead of the Avengers, he went on to try and make for Disney a film called The Magical Kingdom, all about some kids trapped inside Disney World at night when it all comes alive, but nothing ever came to that. As oh, I well. remember it fondly. Classic. Oh, there we go. Um, so obviously we can't forget. Oh fuck's sake! I haven't even been introduced yet. So um, and yes, <laughs> the man who this very podcast is about. Uh, a man who probably says to himself at least five times an episode. Honestly, I hate podcasting with these guys. They are so weird. It's Colin John Brain. Colin, say hello. That is not true at all, man. I love spending time <laughs> with you guys. Although I'm actually quite intrigued by this Disneyland at night movie. I reckon. You know, get some people involved on that. Maybe, uh... yeah, you know, you stack a good cast at it. it you know, it, it could be quite fun. I mean, I'd, I'd probably go the more darker side, and it would turn into some psychotic horror when everyone starts getting butchered in the middle of the night. You get like yeah, a... Disney would never. No, <laughs> you know, throw you, Universal Studios could do it because obviously you've got Universal own all like Dracula, Invisible oh. Man, and stuff like that. The, get it the, done, the classic mate. Universal monsters. Yeah, it could be done. You get never know. 
But anyway, yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, if Very that's what you good. asked. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I did. <laughs> um, so before we jump into this week's film, I thought we could play a little game with you, Colin. Oh, shit. so ah, oh, shit. It's not a memory game. Don't oh, you worry. So go for that. Uh, it's too late I'm, for that. <laughs> I'm about to list a a whole bunch of actors and. Some of them, I've just pulled their names out of thin air, but some are eventually going to make their way to the MCU in films that we will, of course, get around to. Now, I'm going to list some of these actors, and I want you to say, true or false, as to whether you think they would appear in the MCU. I'm I'm a little bit worried that I might not even know who half of these people are. I did think that, so I made sure I went with very big names. (laughs) I I did throw a couple in there, and I thought... He's I mean, not I, know, know I know who they are. I know some obscure actors, but honestly, anyone that's got big over the last sort of five years or so, unless they've been really big, I probably mm-hmm. won't know them. But anyway, let's no, do it. No, no, I think I, I think I got you back on this one. So let's start with Seth Rogen. Is he going to appear in the MCU at any point? Nope. No. That's... Nah, because he he did. He's doing like the, the Boys and Preacher and stuff. That's a different camp, isn't it? Surely to Marvel. I don't think he'd huh? jump in. No. Nah. Who knows? Um. Paul Rudd. Ant-Man. Oh, he knows. I know. Knows. I, mate, I, I, I can't stay. I don't live under a rock. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm quite shocked <laughs> at the little amount that I know of all of this stuff, but I do still know bits and bobs. Okay. Carry on. Go on. Well done. Um, Christian so actually, Bale. You've Ooh. just told me now that Ant-Man is part of the MCU, which I hadn't had confirmed. So there we go. Oh, well, did, oh, I? did I? Well, actually, well, no, 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 Rob, yes, it's because I said it's in the damn question, isn't it? <laughs> Um, Christian Bale. No, let's hope no? not. No, no, hope not. He's going to stay away from superhero franchises. Mm. Tom Hanks. No, not Tom Hanks. I don't see it happening. Angelina Jolie. No, no. Matt Damon. Nah, surely not. Be cool though. I'd, I'd be up for it. Yeah. Mm. Um, Keanu Reeves. No. No, you're just throwing these at me, man. Come on, give I, me some I, that are actually in it. Well, <laughs> Louis and, Gossett uh, Junior. <laughs> yeah, now, now you've now you've lost me. <laughs> um, Sylvester Stallone. No, no, no. Interesting. Well, that's the end of my list. Oh wow! <laughs> so so we got the Colin. We got, not necessarily know was, whether he got them right or not. That was nail-biting. So basically, in my head, only one of them appears, and surely you would have given me more than one. So I'm, I'm now quite so intrigued. So I gave, you, I gave you eight. I gave you Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd, Christian Bale, Tom Hanks, Angelina Jolie, Matt Damon, Keanu Reeves, and Sylvester Stallone. You said one for Paul one. Rudd. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, I, th- I feel like, like, like I said... You've given me lo- a load of old school actors that you know that I know the name of, and I just mm. couldn't. I can't see. I mean, maybe. Nah, man, I can't see any of those popping up. But well, I'm, what I'm, would you what, what would you think if I said five of them appear in the MCU? No way. Mm. Say those to me again. So Seth Rogen. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Seth Rogen. Definitely not. There's no chance. Are you, okay, but I mean, is there? I know he's a massive like comic book nerd. So maybe, but I mean, hold on. But what kind of roles are we talking here? Are we talking big roles or cameos? Oh no, no, no. Just in the MCU. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that changes. Not, they're not getting their own films here. Okay, well that changes a lot. Um, 
I would say Sylvester Stallone potentially pops up out of that eight. Okay. Can't see Angelina Jolie popping up. Um, maybe Seth Rogen as a cameo. I could see right. that happening now. Now that you've clarified that, so that's mm-hmm. four plus plus what's his face. So who were the other ones? Uh, Christian Bale. No. Nah. No. Tom Hanks. Oh, surely not, man. If he does, that would be fucking hilarious. Who else? Matt Damon. I don't see that, but I would like that. So maybe. And Keanu Reeves. Yeah, no, no, he's too busy, man. He's like, he's clinging on to fucking... John Wick, isn't he? It originally was a list of ten. Um, One, because the other one was like, does Colin know who they are? And the other one, I just don't know why I took them off. So number nine was going to be Jeff Goldblum. Oh, I do know him, and I don't think he would appear. Okay, uh-huh. number 10 was the Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who was number 10? Uh, Michael Douglas. Oh, okay. I do know him, and no, I think you've just thrown them in. Well, maybe one of those is then, if you took them out of your top 10. And they, they're people that you think I might not know, so then there's more chance that they have popped up. Well, we shall see, I guess, over the course of the rest of this podcast. Um, Col- uh, Rob, if you could see one actor or, or actress in the MCU, who would you want to see? Who, who, would, who would fit in perfectly? Tom Hanks. Nick Frost. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Frost? Yeah. Get Nick Frost in it. <laughs> All right, brilliant. I don't know what you want from me, George. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'm saying that. Said the name. Yeah. Why that? What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really? George looks so disgusted at that. <laughs> I was expecting some like pedigree and Oscar winner behind there and Nick Frost, but okay, yeah, he's, sure. He's I'm, great. Nick, if, Nick Frost. If I'd said awesome, like man. Jared Leto or something, you could have gone, oh, Get out. The guy's a weirdo. But I didn't. No, very true. Nick Frost, very funny, very charismatic, I guess, and very versatile. So, good answer. So far, so good. Skip the compliments. Let's get on with it. So, as always, you relax, boys, as I provide a background to the film, uh, to both Colin and to our lovely listeners. And as always, Colin, any questions, ask away. And I'm sure between us we might be able to answer, um, but who knows, um, I might be able to provide the answer in what I'm about to say as well. So, um, I remember last episode when I asked you where you thought we were going next in terms of the next film, or what you wanted to see, and you straight away said, well, I want another Avengers movie. Yeah. Which kind of was Marvel's problem after the Avengers as well, because... The audiences started reacting the same way as, as well. So, you know, once the audience knew that Iron Man 3 was coming, it just seemed to everyone that they just wanted the, the, the massive film, you know, template set by the Avengers. It had, a, it had some big boots to fill. So pressure was now on Marvel and Disney to then try and reconvince the fans that standalone films were just as strong on their own, as well as obviously our big um, group films. So obviously I've mentioned it a couple of times as well, and I think Rob's mentioned it just uh, before as well, that obviously uh, previously Johnny Favs, uh, who directed Iron Man 1 and 2, would not be returning to direct. So the hunt for a director was on. Uh, it didn't actually take too long. Uh, the big bosses actually approached Robert Downey Jr. and asked him if he had any ideas or persons of interest as to who he wanted to sit in the director's chair. 
Now, we've mentioned it in our Iron Man 1 episode that, you know, Downey Jr.'s sort of career resurgence was very much helped by the film uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, written and directed by Shane Black. Shane Black had also done some uncredited work on the scripts for both Iron Man films, so he knew the character fairly well, and uh, he'd got on well with Marvel in the past, so he was actually hired. Um, On day one, he asked Marvel, who do you want the villain to be? And they said, well, we've tried in the past to make it the Mandarin, but uh, all the way back to the first film, but we could never quite get it to work. If you can make the Mandarin work, then he's the villain. Go for it. But if you can't make it work, so be it. Do whatever you want. Now, the only other thing they told him, that this film had to metaphorically send Tony back to the cave. So at some point in the film, his house and his lab had to be decimated. That was the only thing they told him that had to happen in the film. And so Shane Black then got to work on a script with his co-writer, Drew Pearce. There was no massive dramas throughout production, um, not even any sort of rumoured dramas or conflicts between Shane Black and the studio. So even when Black and Pierce came up with a certain twist uh, involving the Mandarin, they went into Marvel Studios to pitch that idea to Kevin Feige. They've said they fully expected to be fired on the spot, but Feige and co. absolutely loved the idea and told them to run with it as well. But upon delivering their first draft of the script to Marvel, there was actually quite a significant change to the film that is out now. So obviously there's a reveal that the Mandarin is actually Aldrich Killian. Now in the original script, the real Mandarin and the real person pulling the strings was actually Maya Hansen, Mm. the the, the botanist in it, um, played by uh, Rebecca Hall. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kevin Feige really liked the idea, gave his approval, um, but again, and his mentioned before i think i've done it in a in a previous episode everyone unfortunately has a boss uh so kevin feige's boss um ike perlmutter i think we've mentioned him before yeah. got his hands <laughs> on a drug <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> he got his hands on a draft of the script and i'll let shane black say the rest in this quote that i've got he's here, here? oh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, The quote is as follows. We had a female character who was the villain in the first draft. Uh, We'd finished the script and we were given it. But then we were given a no holds barred memo saying that absolutely cannot stand. And we've changed our minds because after consulting, we've decided that a toy won't sell as well as if it's a female character. What was this dude's name again? Ike Perlmutter. Uh, so we had to change the entire script because of toy making. That's nothing to do with Kevin Feige. That's just Marvel corporate. So if anything, like I said, there was no massive dramas behind the scenes of Iron Man 3, but there was trouble brewing between Kevin Feige and Ike Perlmutter. The ending was also a t- little bit different. Uh, it turns out that good old uh, Trevor Slattery uh, was going to make an appearance at the end as well. So... One of the versions of the movie that was shot, um, Trevor Slattery actually dies at the end, but only because he sort of, he turns up at the, at the end during the last set piece um, and he's stolen one of the extremis injectors, uh, comes out of the oil rig and says the line, you try to lock me in the cupboard, you incandescent knobs. Um, He jabs himself with the injection, but then promptly blows up. they decided to obviously cut that from the film, as in their words, it was quite frankly very Monty Python. Just um, while we're talking about 
changed endings. Yes. <laughs> Audio commentary facts. Yes. Oh. 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 Octave below. Yeah. <laughs> a bit Johnny Cash. Um, <laughs> so the film was originally going to open, or one of the ideas that was originally going to open, there was two. Um, one was going to have Tony in Afghanistan back there, but now mind sweeping and trying to clear the, um, you know, the desert with, from all of his mines and his weapons and unexploded shells. And mm. another idea was going to see a young Tony cheering his mum up after his dad had had a drunken row with her by catching a firefly in his hand and holding it to her as it glowed from within, much like Iron Man's glowing glove. Ooh, that would have been very nice. Mm. So, Iron Man 3 was actually released on May 3rd, uh, 2013, and was a massive box office success. So it scored $174.1 million on its opening weekend to land the second biggest opening weekend of all time behind the Avengers. Um, it went on to gross $1.2 billion, uh, making it the second Marvel movie uh, to cross $1 billion. But obviously it certainly wasn't the last. So... The experiment worked. Uh, Iron Man 3 proved to audiences uh, that Marvel standalone movies could um, stand against the the big team-up films. But after the release, the good news continued as well. So uh, Kevin Feige went to Alan Horn, who was the CEO of Disney. Not just the CEO of Disney Studios, but of actual Disney itself. And said it was either him or Ike Perlmutter. Uh, Kevin Feige said he's always made the films with the audience in mind at all times, not being worried about toy sales or how much he wanted to pay for directors, and but he wanted to actually pay actors what they're worth, uh, because these films are actually making money now as well. So Alan Horn agreed, and so Kevin Feige was promoted to the head of Marvel Studios. From now on, he had no one to answer to. He was head honcho. So fan reactions to the film, you know what? Very, very mixed, actually. Fans had waited years uh, for the Mandarin to be in the MCU. So the trailers, which I do recommend, Colin, you watch after this, um, the trailers feature the Mandarin very heavily. Sometimes they even have shots of the Mandarin or certain scenes with the Mandarin in that aren't even in the film. They designed them exclusively just to be in the trailer. Okay. Um, it's a massive misdirect. Um this is, I think Iron Man 3 is actually a very funny film. The trailer gives zero indication of that. So fans went in expecting a really intense, dark film. Okay. So when the twist occurred, uh, fans did turn on the film a little bit. So Colin, our very good friend and fellow MCU nerd Dan, mm. he does not like Iron Man 3 just because of this twist. Okay. Um, so it was an interesting reaction and one I can't wait to hear your opinion on in a minute. Now, lastly, uh, Iron Man 3 was the last film in Robert Downey Jr.'s contract with Marvel. So uh, upon wrapping this film, he was no longer employed by Marvel Studios. But obviously Marvel were begging for Downey to re-sign a contract and get started um, on Iron Man 4 which he told Marvel um, he actually didn't want to do. He didn't want to do Iron Man 4. He was satisfied enough with Tony's character arc at the end of this film. However, he did say he'd be happy to return as a supporting character in future Marvel films. 
They didn't set a number of how many films he would return for, so he wasn't contracted. Uh, It would be entirely dependent on the quality of the script, and also he would take an outright fee for being in the film, plus a cut of the box office profits. So if he saw a good script that was out there, it was a good payday for him. Old Um, uh, Robert Dollar Jr., they call him. Exactly. Yeah, he was after this. So this might be the last we see of Tony Stark, or it might not. I guess we'll have to watch this space. So, the big question, Colin, hmm. what did you think? Well, firstly, Ike Perlmutter, mm. you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad that guy got fired or whatever. He's God gone. knows what he's doing yes, now. He's gone. So, um, carrying on from that point, hmm. Uh, <sighs> <sighs> I mean, I don't know what that noise really indicates. Oh, um, love, I think. I'm getting waves, love, of, <laughs> waves of passion um, and enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that, uh, I've, been, I've been toying around with what to say today mm. when you asked me this question. Um, I think I was sort of a bit disappointed to okay. be honest, I, I, I and I don't know whether or not that's just I was riding on such a high from the Avengers and it raised mm. the bar so damn high for me. I mean, I was like, you know, yeah. I, I was like, after watching that, I was like, fuck yeah, man, let's get on with this, you know? <laughs> um, and, it, I mean, yeah, I don't, it's, it's really hard, man. Like, I, mm. I don't want to say I didn't like it because I don't think that's true, but mm. I didn't enjoy it as much as i was hoping to um i don't really think it was it did enough to any of the characters developments for it to feel necessary um Mm -hmm. some of the new characters that came in i wasn't particularly bothered by um i did like the what they i I liked tony stark sort of more emotional you know the sort of panic attacky anxiety driven side of things that was quite interesting to see so so it's not like i didn't it's not like I hated everything, but yeah. I just kind of watched it and I, I got a bit bored halfway through and I was like, oh, this film's like two hours, 15 minutes. I don't really care anymore. <laughs> and then like certain things were happening, which we'll get into. And so overall, I just kind of finished it and was a bit like, oh, fuck it. You know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm, okay. Sure, I'm sure once we do the deep dive, we'll be yeah. able to get in some more clarification from you. Mm. Uh, what about you, Rob? How was this rewatch for you? Yeah, I mean, this is the first time I've watched it with the audio commentary. I've watched mm. it many times before. I really, really like this film a lot. And I, and I think, um, yeah, I mean, uh, my enjoyment for it hasn't sort of waned over the years. It's I wouldn't say it's like, when we watched Captain America, I found myself oddly appreciating it more mm. as time goes on. But I don't sort of, I, I, I don't like this any less than when I first saw it. Mm. so it's not like over the years i keep watching it and go i love it even more each time it's yeah 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 interesting um maybe i'm slightly biased because you know i was already such a, a massive fan of shane black and his films as well i, I love his his use of dialogue mm. um i love that for no reason whatsoever most of his films are set at christmas um i love oh, that he's christ that was annoying <laughs> I love that his characters are always. Sorry, I'm, uh, I love that his characters are always flawed. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love his use of henchmen too, uh, which we'll get onto in the deep dive. So you know what? Uh, this is actually one of my favourite MCU films um, out of all twenty-three films. 
it's got you know it's everything i love about a superhero film uh, an action film i mean even a comedy um i think the dramatic moments work just as well as the comedic moments and this is easily robert downey jr's best performance as tony stark so far or ever who knows um so let's do a deep dive then because i'm very intrigued to know um, what mr moody brain thinks of this oh, film <laughs> fucking christmas Look, no, dude, i mean what's the point because it just means you're watching it what are we on now like it's middle of may i'm sat yeah. there and then hearing fucking jingle bells and every there's a christmas hat on fucking every other person in the movie and you're just like what's the point it's not a christmas film is it it just makes it feel weird when you're watching it any other time of the year excellent at a new year's eve party in 1999 tony stark meets scientist maya hansen the inventor of an experimental regenerative treatment called Extremis that allows recovery from crippling injuries. Disabled scientist Aldrich Killian offers them a place in his company, Advanced Idea Mechanics. But Stark rejects him. Now, Colin, did you recognise one of the men Tony meets at this New Year's Eve party opening scene? I don't think so. Hmm. So when he's walking through the party with um, Maya Hansen, yeah. uh, he gets introduced to um, this Chinese government official, and he's introduced to him by a man named Yinsen. And Yinsen was who Tony met in the cave oh. way back in Iron Man 1. Um, he even said he met him at a party in Switzerland. He even says in, yes, way back in Iron Man 1 that he met him. Um, so I can't work out whether that's a, a next time, baby, or a last time, baby. Last time, um, baby. It's uh, a last time, baby? Okay. It's both, because he, in, in, the, in the narrative of Iron Man 3, is next time, baby. Yeah, true, I'll be yeah. sacrificing my life and getting <laughs> killed for you. Um, but for us, it was last time, baby. He was, oh, he was dying. Uh, so, obviously, and in this uh, beginning scene as well, we get to meet Happy Hogan again, uh, sporting quite the mullet and facial Ooh, yeah. hair. Yeah. Um, so, he may not have wanted to return to the director's chair, but Von, uh, Johnny Favs is having a lot of fun in this film. Um, I know he's not in it much, Colin, um, but is is he is he too much in this film? Because he's certainly, shall we say, uh, heightened in this film. Yeah, I mean, they obviously, the whole him being the security man like the head of security now mm. and, and so i quite like that though i thought it was for head of security yeah 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 i mean it, it was obviously it was it was quite um accelerated or it was pushed to the max but mm -hmm. but i think the character like that i mean he's been in all of them he's, he's a familiar face they got to do something with him haven't they and exactly yeah, I, I didn't i didn't i didn't hate that bit at all yeah uh so you know it's also this whole beginning is a nice reminder of just how horrendous um, yeah. Tony Stark used to be. Because, you know, he, he essentially he leaves a disabled man on a rooftop in the mm. cold on New Year's Eve, you know, at the promise of working with him. Any thoughts about this opening scene, Rob? Yeah. Yo, listen up, here's a story about a little man who lives in a blue world. Oh, yes. What a needle drop. Uh, yeah, the first thing we hear... Mm. <laughs> Very strange. Is that is, is that is your thoughts of the beginning of the film? <laughs> yeah. One more drink. Rifle, rifle 65. I'm blue. Yeah. Brilliant. Cheeky, I, cheeky scamps. I thank um, you for your input. No, I, I, really, I really like the opening. I think it's good to see Tony in sort of dick mode again. Mm. And also it sort of 
it, I don't know, I think it sets up the the sort of villain's motivations from the off. It kind of does a, it juggles a lot of things. And mm. It sets up a lot of bits of exposition, but not in a way that's like the moment with the plant. I feel sets up, mm-hmm. you know, where we go with sort of that piece of science and that plot thread. I think it sets up a lot of stuff really well and neatly. It's, yeah, it's all set up, but it doesn't feel like um, a setup for sure. And I love that he's sort of, we see kind of a little bit of vulnerability from Downey Jr. Though. Once he's alone in the hotel room with um, Maya, I think there's a really nice moment where he says, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever met. And she says, you could do better than that. And he's like, oh, in Switzerland? Um, and he, <laughs> he, he, he sort of, you can tell he's um, a little bit shy during that scene as well. I, yeah, I do yeah. like this uh, opening quite a lot. And I think it sets up the one of the main themes of this film and of Tony Stark as a whole of we create our own demons. And I think yeah. that's something that Tony has always sort of done. So in December 2012, um, seven months after the Battle of New York, Stark is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, and he's having frequent panic and anxiety attacks due to his experiences during the alien invasion and subsequent battle. Restless, he has actually built dozens of new Iron Man suits to cope with his insomnia, which then creates friction with his girlfriend, Pepper Potts. So Rob, Tony Stark with anxiety and post-traumatic stress do they make it work do they make it believable i i can't tell you as someone who's had like anxiety and all stuff like that pretty much my whole life sitting in the cinema and sort of my my biggest worry about going into this film was that avengers was going to be forgotten so like there was no okay well, they sorted that all, mm-hmm. all, all done and dusted and to have it keep coming back and not not just sort of once in this film like oh well we ticked the anxiety box it's affecting him all the way through. Um, so you've got that wonderful scene with uh, the kid from Christmas Story who's um, <laughs> asked him to sign that picture. And he's writing on it like, help me, mm-hmm. in like big letters. And then just what's it? The kid whispers, like, how did you get out of the wormhole? Like, mm-hmm. it's just such a good moment. And he, he sort of, for Tony to have that reaction, someone who's so cocky and so sure mm. of himself. It was just like if we'd seen the same thing as we saw the last film of him being, you know, the master of any situation, yeah, it would have been boring. So to see him in that mm-hmm. state is just interesting, I think. And it's one of my favourite moments of the film where he sort of retreats back to the suit that's outside the bar and he asks Jarvis, is it is it the heart? Is it the brain? And Jarvis mm-hmm. is like, you're having a severe anxiety attack. And maybe my favourite line of the film is start going, me? That... Mm is that is so good i love that um colin you said that all worked for you as well that sort of aspect yeah i mean uh, the more and more i watch these films the thing that i i seem to enjoy the most is just character development you know Mm. and and like uh, just a new layer to him and and seeing the vulnerability of it and you know i mean still i don't really see these films as being overly deep really in the sense of like cinema over history but Mm. you know if you're if you were in iron man's shoes and you had been through all of that shite that you went through in um in the avengers then yeah i mean you know it it, like like rob said if if he had just popped up and just carried on being the same old tony stark it it would have been i mean maybe some people still would have loved it but it wouldn't have been particularly realistic and yeah that situation i mean how how are you not suffering from ptsd after going through that sort of stuff you know Mm, so it was was nice it was nice that they, they actually bothered to to kind of hit that narrative, you know? I completely agree. I don't think it would ring true if um, he battled 
thousands of aliens in New York. Um, and also, in, like, yeah, yeah, flying into that kind of wormhole. Flew into and, space, yeah, essentially yeah, yeah. dying in space and yeah, falling back yeah. through a wormhole. Uh, yeah, you're going to be um, a, a little bit damaged by it, shall we say. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Colin, in this scene as well, we also get to meet Rhodey as well. So nice and early in this film. Uh, but how was Rhodey in this film as well? Because I know you kind of liked him in Iron Man 2, if I remember correctly. Uh... This is uh, Colonel Rhodes, right? Is that who you're referring yes. to? Rhodes, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't really like him in this, man. All oh, right. Uh, I, I I didn't like the whole turning the war machine suit into the pathetic looking um, Captain America version of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't know, man. It's just I actually preferred who who was it who played him in the first one? Terrence Howard. Yeah. I I think you've got it wrong. I think I quite. Right. Uh, maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't care for him in that. But then I think <laughs> Don Cheadle made me realise how much I liked Terence. Mm. Um, Is it because Don Cheadle had that line about two grapes fighting over a seal <laughs> <laughs> on a rooftop? Oh Christ! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why he's stuck in the mind. Uh, we've got to bring that up whenever we can. Um, God's sake. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, like I said, there were only really two or three points in this movie that I kind of cared about. And a lot mm. of the other stuff, I was just sort of like, I don't, I just want more Avengers. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And it is. <laughs> He's one of them. I've probably got a load, I've probably got a load more movies before the next <laughs> Avengers as well, haven't I? But um, I didn't really enjoy Okay, um, that's fair. Rhodey. Uh, Rob, what about you? I like his little moment in that scene where they're in the restaurant and he's like, uh, I'm not trying to be a dick. And then the kid over here is, and he's like, Tater. Oh, I was going to mention that line. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's classic Shane Black kind of. Yes. I think Shane Black's the perfect person to follow up Joss Whedon as a writer because he's got that same kind of, I, I think he does it better personally, but mm. that kind of wit and. Quippiness. Yeah. 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 So I think he's I, perfect for it, and that comes across in that scene, I think. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Like I said, I, I've always loved his scripts. Um, and in terms of Don Cheadle, um, you know, Paul Rohde will always be second fiddle to Tony Stark. Um, and, you know, in a sense, Don Cheadle will always kind of be second fiddle to Robert Downey Jr. But uh, I think they allow him to have some fun in this film. Um, it does help, but, you know, as Rob said, this, the script is just really good as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, you've got the, the scene in the bar um, with lines like that with, um, I don't want to be a dick tater and all of that uh, it's so good and then i like that they get him really involved in the action set piece towards the end as well which we'll get into as well and so then um a string of bombings uh, claimed by a terrorist known as the mandarin has left intelligence agencies bewildered by a lack of forensic evidence now stark's security chief happy hogan is badly injured in one such attack at the chinese theater and um, he's then put into a coma prompting stark to boldly issue a televised threat to the mandarin revealing his home address in the process the mandarin sends gunship helicopters to destroy stark home hansen who came to warn stark survives the attack with pots so then the set piece with Tony's house being destroyed, Colin, is this one of the moments you were gripped by or not? Yeah, I, I thought it was quite predictable that Hanson wasn't quite who she seemed when she suddenly popped up. I, I gathered that that was going to come back. and Because, mm. you know, as soon as Tony Stark kind of gave his address and then you then get the attack and the fact that she just happens to be there needing mm -hmm. to take him away for something. I mean, I guess they were trying to play it on the fact that she knew it was going to happen or whatever, but mm. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was all right. Interesting. I really thought we had you after Avengers. We've got more work to do than <laughs> the Dude, I, I don't want to just sit here and moan. I'm just being honest. I'm not doing this to be a dick. Uh, uh, Rob, what about this set piece? I I like this set piece. I think it's not perfect, but there's some real good sort of action moments in it. There's the moment where he, he's using the prototype suit and he can't, none of his stuff's working because it's not been installed. So he has to like mm. fire that piano at the helicopter. Yeah. Um, mm. There's the real nice moment that when it, it starts off and they're in that explosion and he brings the, you kind of realize why he's got this suit that he could, yeah, that steer bit was cool. effectively. He yeah. flies it all out, you know, protecting uh, pepper. pepper pots. Yeah, mm. I really like that. But there's like before this, you mentioned the the, the moment at the Chinese theater and mm. Happy Hogan. I think this is the first time I noticed this. It got a real big laugh out of me when he says, "Oh, like you, uh, what are you doing here? You're on a date. You're going for you watching a movie." And then Happy Hogan comes back and says, yeah, it's a little movie called The Party's Over, starring you and your junkie girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good, isn't it? But yet again, that's so Shane Black. It's such a lame insult as well that it's perfect for Happy Hogan. Like, he thinks he's a badass. Yeah. It's a little movie called The Party's Over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to stop asking you, Rob, what you thought of it before me now, because the two things I had listed in this fight scene was the fact that Tony's designed a suit that would automatically go latch on to Pepper to protect her hmm. and him using um, launchers to essentially launch a piano at a helicopter. So, I, you know, I really like this fight scene as well. So Tony, Tony's got like all this, obviously the anxiety um, and the PTSD. And obviously some of it's because of what happened to him in Avengers, like we discussed. But it makes you ask, like, why didn't he have PTSD after his time spent in the cave you know where he came seconds away from dying getting hit by that bomb um i think it all boils down to back then he didn't have pepper obviously Mm. she was just more of a colleague then i think i think this new found anxiety is rooted in his doubt as to whether he can protect pepper or not because everything's changed now and i think that is sort of another big foundation of the film going forward as well yeah i agree there's because there's this whole scene where he's, you know, he's not he's not present with her. Like he's 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 downstairs in another room, and Iron Man is upstairs, kind of mm-hmm. thing. And as she calls him up on it, and he's like, "Look, I'm just a a man in a tin can, like up against gods and monsters and yeah. all this stuff." But yeah, that's no good if I can't protect. Like he says, like if I can't the one thing you, I care about you. Yeah, and like there's that moment where he's having that nightmare, and yeah, just the the. I mean, it's a brilliant performance by Downey Jr. when he wakes up and the suit is really creepy. Like it's like a horror film, just like mm-hmm. grabbing her because it sees her as a threat, and it sort of like almost plays them as two separate entities. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just really interesting. That like the the shame that he has on his face when he's upset her and he's left in that room on his own. And yeah, she leaves the room and, you know, yet again, this was all part of him maybe trying to protect her as well. That suit is maybe is, is in that house to protect them. And that's the reason she's now um, leaving their bedroom. And he does, he sits there defeated, but also 
you know, he can't catch his breath as well because obviously mm. he's still having this uh, anxiety attack. It's a really powerful scene. But they balance it well because there's like even, there's a comedy moment there as well where she's having a go at him. And he says, oh, what, like you're meeting with Aldrich Killian? And, and the robot just sort of turns its head mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, judgmentally at her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love it. So, uh, Stark escapes in an experimental new Iron Man suit, which has his artificial intelligence, Jarvis, um, pilots to rural Tennessee. This is following a flight pan from Stark's investigation into the Mandarin. Now, Stark's new armor is not fully functional and it lacks sufficient power to return to California, leaving the world to believe him dead. Now here, uh, he Stark investigates the remainings of a local explosion uh, bearing the hallmarks of a Mandarin attack. Now he discovers the in hyphens bombings uh, were triggered were triggered by soldiers subjected to extremists whose bodies explosively uh, rejected treatment. These explosions were falsely attributed to a terrorist plot in order to cover up extremists' flaws. So as I mentioned earlier, Tony is metaphorically sent back to the cave in this film. Now, Colin, I know some of the, the gadget porn, I guess, um, etc. in previous films was something that didn't overly work for you. Mm. So what about this new direction when he's suddenly um, suitless and gadgetless? Yeah, I liked it. Okay. I really didn't like that little twerp that he joined up with <laughs> when he reached there, though. That little kid did my head in. God, it is late. This is a new Colin Brain. I love it. I'm sorry, man. Uh, maybe I was just in a really shit mood when I watched this one, but I enjoyed the fact that he had the suit that wasn't, you know, had all the bells and whistles mm. and perfect, so it would get him out of every scenario. And I like the fact that he had to kind of, you know, get stripped of it and then figure out how to get back to... Exactly. You know, so, you know, you've got the fight scene with the woman in the bar where he's putting mm. medals in microwaves and things like this. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That was I, cool. I, it's Tony uh, the scientist, not not Tony yeah. the superhero. Um, so you didn't even like the, the little quips between him and the little boy and things like that? I thought you would have got a kick out of that. Uh, it's like that kid. How old was that kid meant to be? Uh, I don't know. 10 or something? Yeah, I don't know. know. No 12-year-old talks like that. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. There's no reality to that at all. This kid was talking like an adult, you know, like he knew everything about the news. He was like, he was up to date with all the facts and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what I wish they would have done there? Cool. I wish that I wish that rather than it being that little kid, it was the guy in the back of the van that had to help him out for like two oh minutes. My God. Because that guy, you know, would have been way more realistic if it was like just a massive hardcore fanboy of Iron Man and like his, you know, just a kind of nerd who yeah. loves him and all that stuff. I think there could, I, personally, I think that would have been better than some so is it called, 12 is year he called old. Gary? Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> Tony his name, needs yeah. Gary. Gary yeah. needs Tony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He should have had more time over that. Well, he shows kid. his tattoo, yeah. and he's like, "Who's that Hispanic Scott Bayo?" Yeah, <laughs> it's the worst tattoo. Oh yeah, uh, Rob. This back to basics approach um, does it rob everything we love about Iron Man? No, I think from well for me, I like that um, Tony's main worry is like he said to Pepper that he's just a man in a good suit, and it's like. This, yeah, the plot of the film shows him going from. It takes everything away from all of his, like you said, the with the mansion gone. He's, mm. you know, his sort of safety net is gone, um, and the one suit he's got goes to sleep on him, and he's left there with. He has to try and, I think, through the course of it, he'll realise that Tony is the reason any of these things exist, mm. and that without it, you know, it's it's nothing, and yeah. I mean, I, I like the the scenes with the kid. I get what you mean, though. Like he, 
there's elements, there's certain bits that sort of feel like he, yeah, they sort of like, some bits seem like he knows more about Tony, and then next minute he's like, he sort of doesn't know who he is when he first walks in. It's like, but I don't know. That it, yeah, it's sort of a bit unclear for me. But I got that that he that he he asks him who he is. I mean, hmm. that kid definitely knows Iron Man. He's gonna yeah. know Iron Man. And I think like just for the moment where he's like, "Where are your parents?" He's like, "Mum's left for the diner, and Dad's gone mm. to get scratch cards." And I guess he won because that was six years ago. Yeah, but even just, that, what ten-year-old's going to say? No, that? but then I it's mean, all about Tony's response. Yeah. yeah, he's like, which happens? Dad leave. No need to be a yeah, pussy no, about I it. Did, I, I, did, I did like that. There should have been. There should have been more of him just roasting the little shit. But he does. <laughs> and uh, there was one. Moment- he does, I love the bit when he drives off at the end. Oh, because we're connected. Because we're connected. Um, yeah. So I mean, there was a moment where, with, with you know, with the quips between the kid that I got a smack around the head from my fiance as well because he does say a line because this is her first time watching it as well. He does say a line that I've been saying to her for a couple of years now, and she suddenly realised where I got it from. And it's, um, so, you know, if she's telling you about her day or something like that, how how work went or something like that, I'll always go, you know, there's one question ever since you started, it's just been going around my mind. She goes, what? I'll be like, where's my sandwich? (laughs) 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 And suddenly she realised where I got it from and I got a smack around the head. I think it's a bit different when... uh... Tony's talking to a kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit less misogynistic. Just yeah, exactly. out. <laughs> she, you're not, she get, you're not gaining I'm, any fans today, mate. Oh, she don't, knows no, I'm joking. No, don't, don't listen to him, listeners. He's an awful misogynist. Yeah, fuck me. I'm going to be the miserable bastard. This guy. Hey, she loves me, really. Um, so, <laughs> um, God's sake. God, you made me sound awful then. Oh, um, who's the real villain yeah. of this shit, eh? Mandarin's got I've, nothing I've, on me. I'll be honest, that's a line I've stolen from Taskmaster. <laughs> there was an outtake where you basically, Greg Davies turns to go, goes, don't listen to him, he's an awful, awful misogynist. <laughs> I was like throwing it out there. I'm not. Um, but I love this whole new um, Back to Basics approach. Um, I think it's just what the MCU needed. Um, I think it's what Tony Stark needed. So think back uh, to that last line in... Iron Man 1, you know, at the press conference, um, I am Iron Man. To me, that's what this film is about. Tony Stark is Iron Man. Mm. Out, Even out of the suit, he's Iron Man. The suits are just an extension. They're, a, they're just of, of him. Um, so, you know, it's a question sort of introduced in the Avengers as well. I think um, by none, of, none other than Steve Rogers, Captain America. And he says, to, you know, take off the suit. What are you? And I think that's definitely what Shane Black maybe wanted to explore here. Mm. So by this point, Colin, we'd had a couple of Mandarin videos. Um, mm. Were you pumped to meet the Mandarin? Were the, were the videos working for you? Or were you just getting impatient to finally meet our villain? No, no, no. I, I did enjoy the videos. The only thing that kind of put me off a little bit was that the guy's voice sound, it just reminded me of Jigsaw. Right. They'll never see me You'll never coming. see me coming. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, vo- the voice was... That, what I like that was, yeah. <laughs> You'll never see me coming. <laughs> the voice was slightly off-putting, but no, I enjoyed the, you know... I mean, they were a bit on the nose, weren't they, of sort of... But are they meant of, to be? Because even Aldridge Well, King, they are when you find, you, you know, when you find yeah. out the twist. Well, they even it say it towards the end. Uh, there's a line, you know, ever since um, God started falling out the sky with hammers in their hands, maybe we don't yeah. get subtlety anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I did enjoy that, and, and I was sort of... 
I was excited to see where that was going. Mm. Uh, Rob, when you first saw this in the cinema, I'm assuming you saw it in the cinema. um, Did you fall for it? Like, were you expecting? Yeah, I I did. I I I thought, oh, it's Ben Kingsley. I mean, I I I love him. Even when he's being hammy and ridiculous, I think he's great. To that point, I was like. I was enjoying him. I was enjoying what he created in Tony, that sort of, like, revenge of, like, right, you made it personal, I'm pissed now. Yeah. Mm. And I like that he was able to do that. I love that side of Tony, for sure. So Stark witnesses extremists firsthand when Mandarin agents Savin and Brandt attack him. Stark kills Brandt and incapacitates Savin. Meanwhile, Killian resurfaces and kidnaps Pepper Potts with assistance from Maya Hansen. American intelligence agencies continue to search for the Mandarin's location with James Rhodes, the former war machine, now rebranded as Iron Patriot. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Lured into a trap to steal his Iron Man-like armour. So let's maybe discuss a little bit of Guy Pearce then. Rob, how is Guy Pearce as Aldrich Killian in Iron Man 3? I mean, I like him. He's a slime. Hmm. Something that I learnt from the audio commentary facts. Oh, even lower. Next one. Next one. <laughs> higher. Higher. I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> um, but yeah, Drew Pierce describes uh, Guy Pierce as someone who's got the looks of a leading man, but he's they've got the abilities and the interests of a sort of character actor who loves playing creeps and weirdos and mm. eccentrics, and I think that. It's definitely true here. There's like so many moments, like when he stood in inside his brain with uh, with Pepper, mm. and mm. he's got like a charm about him. But he's also the, he's complete of, slime ball at the same time. I completely oh, yeah. yeah. And it's it's different to how like Justin Hammer was. This is like something a bit more I don't know, seedy and mm. creepy. But there's this great moment. I know you enjoy this too because we've talk, talked about this little performance choice he has. But when he has Pepper, like, held against the wall, and she's, like, yelling oh. at him, oh. he's completely calm and just goes, Pepper, Pepper, Pepper. I love, it's such a little <laughs> moment, but I love it. It's so good, that little moment. So, small little plug here. Uh, me and Rob have a, another podcast called uh, Pilot Season, and in an episode, we review... Um, an episode called, um, no, an episode of TV called Mayor of Easttown, which Guy Pierce is in. And I'm pretty sure Rob referred to Guy Pierce as having ferret like features. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> poor Guy Pierce. Uh, so, I mean, ferrets are beautiful animals. So. Oh, don't listen to him. He's a horrible misogynist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Colin, what about you? Does the character work for you? <laughs> oh that was good mate you've redeemed yourself uh, sorry what was the question um, Aldrich Killian how did he work for you okay oh yeah um, you know he sort of had that Bond villain vibe which I quite enjoyed yeah definitely um, I thought he looked definitely looked the part you know like that kind of, like like you both have said like the kind of slimy mm. ferret just, just, yeah that, just a slimy ferret um, yeah I, I, I enjoyed him I think it makes a bit of sense now that from what you said at the beginning about the whole um, Maya was meant to be, you know, the the main villain. Originally, obviously, yes. Originally. Um, because I sort of struggled throughout the whole film to realise why they were both in it. Mm. Because I don't think either of them brought anything different apart from... I mean, I know you had the kind of 
Maya's character was sort of bouncing between does she really want to fuck him over or does she not? That sort of vibe. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it didn't bother me. Mm. I, th- I quite enjoyed him. I thought he was he was decent, and I, I really liked the um, storyline of the what was it called? Extremis. Yeah, I re- I really liked that, and I think visually that looked great. Like the, yeah. all of the all of yeah. the elements behind that whole thing, I really enjoyed yeah, the, the fight scenes around strong. it. Yeah. For like sure. the whole the whole fact when you know the couple of times where he gets absolutely smushed up and then you know he's just back mm-hmm. and it has got all the all of his faces lighting up and shit. I really enjoyed that. It might be like, Terminator too. And the whole like yeah, yeah, yeah. most definitely. You know, at one point he mm. loses an arm, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, really yeah. good. There's a great um, line as well, which uh, Robert Downey Jr. improvised, where he's having that fight with Brant, and um, she walks. You know, he, he sets the place on fire. And he goes, you walk right into this one, but I've dated hotter chicks than you. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that was a, a Robert Downey Jr. edition. Nice. Excellent. Um, so in terms of Guy Pierce, yeah, I mean, again, maybe slightly biased here, because I've always quite admired his performances. And, and I think he's having a ton mm. of fun here. Because on paper, I think Aldrich Killian is a pretty intimidating villain, I guess. But in reality, it gives Guy Pierce a hell of a lot of silliness to play around with too. You know, whether he's yeah. playing sort of like the, the, the bumbling idiot at the beginning of the film, which I think he's so good in the beginning of the film. Or mm. like we said, he's quite literally breathing fire in another scene. And um, yeah. I think in the hands of maybe a less talented actor, we could have been in a bit of trouble. But thanks mm. to Mr. Mr. Pierce, it all sort of works for me. So let's get to... Um, the main one of the the main talking points, shall we? So Stark traces the Mandarin to Miami, and infiltrates his headquarters using improvised weapons. Um, a lot of Christmas gadgets there for you, uh, Colin. I think there's some. Board. Yeah, that whole bit was Austin Powers, really, wasn't it? For Austin a couple of scenes. Powers. <laughs> yeah, no, I weren't into that. They part even incorporate all. little like Christmas bells into the score. Oh, I love bollocks, it. Mate. I loved it. I loved it. No. Bollocks. Um, so inside, he discovered. <laughs> it was almost as bad as him awkwardly dancing to that shite Jingle Bells track at the beginning of the film. <laughs> Unnecessary. Hang on, Hang on guys. Oh. Can, can you hear that? Oh, here we go. Excelsior! Of course. <laughs> we almost missed it. Stan's a pervert in this one. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. He's just a perverted pageant judge. <laughs> Handing oh, out tens like it's nobody's business. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like a, like a, a comic book Len Goodman. So to continue, uh, inside he discovers the Mandarin is actually an English actor named Trevor Slattery, uh, who is oblivious to the actions carried out in his image. Now, Killian, who appropriated Hansen's extremist research as a cure for his own disability and expanded the program to include injured war veterans, reveals he is the real Mandarin behind batteries commentary (laughs) so um in the scene where tony finds out about the the soldiers and the experiments going wrong um drew pierce posed the question of the, the soldier who is set to explode this is something that you can maybe go back and have a look at and we can uh, maybe run a poll about what mm. people think but he he wonders who that soldier looks more like the director christopher nolan or the director and writer aaron sorkin 
Well, we will definitely post that in our socials, uh, and we'll have bit, to try and just let, a bit of fun, guys. Let the listeners just decide. <laughs> just a bit of fun. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. Very, that's almost as fun as that game I played with Colin earlier on <laughs> in <Yes>. the episode. <laughs> um, so, right, let's talk the twist. Rob, does it work? Well, yeah, because the, what I the thing I would always come back to because it went to I left the cinema. And I thought to myself, right, so people were, you could hear people were annoyed by it oh, as, you, yeah. as, you were, as you were leaving the cinema. People were like, oh, that was, you know, stupid. But then I thought to myself, how old was Ben Kingsley when they made this? And what version of the film did they want to see? Did they want to see an aging Ben Kingsley with a handgun? Because that's all he's been shown to use previously. Mm. Sort of shooting at Tony Stark or or have... You know, Ben Kingsley, Gandhi, breathing fire at people yep. and and doing all the CGI stuff that Guy Pierce does at the end. Like, no one, they think they wanted that, but no one wants that. Mm. <laughs> like, this is the better option That's of the two. so well put, yeah. I like that a lot. Um, so, yeah, it worked. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Colin, what was your reaction to this reveal then? Were you disappointed <laughs> like other fans? Or I wanted him to have fire and... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was—I think I was still vomiting over the Austin Powers scene from a couple of minutes <laughs> before. But no, I'm just—I'm just messing about. Um, I, I quite like the twist. Cool. Yeah, mm. I like the twist. Although I, I wasn't really too into the actual character, Trevor. Trevor Slattery. Was. It was mm. a bit—it was a bit kind of cheesy and over-the-top comedy-wise for me. No. But mm. the twist itself, I did—I liked the Mandarin sequences that you were seeing up until that mm. point. They seemed so on the nose that it was kind of a little bit like, yeah. This sound, this it felt like an, an American mm-hmm. writing what that would be, and to me, I was kind of like, "Is this just a bit insulting?" Like, if it turned out to be the Mandarin right. was, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. So, so the fact that he wasn't, it was actually like, "Oh, okay, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like that." Mm-hmm. But yeah, as I say, the Trevor character was just a little bit over the top okay. for me. Yeah, he definitely is. He's he's suddenly becomes more of um, a comic effort into the like a lovey isn't he like a theater lovey yeah Yeah, and and it's like the the real like english you know (laughs) like real played on yeah trevor's flattery (laughs) yeah where's the mandarin he's here he's not here but he's here (laughs) yeah (laughs) i like um the guy pierce yeah the fact that drew pierce the writer is british um Mm. and he manages to get in a lot of these little moments like i hear he's King Lear was the toast of Croydon. Yes. <laughs> just in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Croydon, to hear the word getting a, Croydon. Get a shout out yeah. in the MCU. Yeah, yeah that, um, that did give me a little smile. Yeah, yeah. As the whole twist works for me. I mean... Yeah. Was it a big Was it a big um, sort of divide then between oh, fans when it... Massive. Oh, I think it, it still is, yeah. yeah. Still really? is okay. very, very to be fair, like, I wasn't... I mean, I, I guess if you're a hardcore fan of these things, mm-hmm. it, I can see it. But it, it wasn't like a holy shit, this must have divided people personally to me when I saw it. It was mm-hmm. just like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. I think like the equivalent would be if, say, you went to see The Dark Knight, and because the Mandarin is quite a famous Iron Man character, even though there's sort of racial stereotype issues with it, mm. I think it'd be like if you went to see The Dark Knight and suddenly Heath Ledger wasn't the Joker, sure. he was just someone else. I think you'd be a bit like, oh, uh, right. Even but if then the twist worked, you'd be... Yeah, but isn't it just more about the way it's executed, though? I mean, I've, I mean yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's, we're, all, we're all preaching to the choir, I guess, aren't we? Yeah, in the context of the film, and, like, Aldrich Killian's motives, I think it works within the context. Um, 
but yes, it's very, very contentious still. Um, even I think mm. Drew Pierce was even asked about it. I mean, this was you know this film's getting on a little bit now, and Drew Pierce was even asked about it recently, and he he, he talked about it and did admit that maybe the misdirect was a bit unfair. You know, they went out and shot certain scenes just to put in the trailer. And yeah, but that's like that. just that's just like good marketing. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm completely yeah, with yeah, you yeah. there. Because um, I, you know, when I first saw the film, I had no idea this twist was coming. Um, How did you react? Um, I, you know... I got co- I got so caught up in the trailers and just how dark the film looked as well and how intense Ben Kingsley seemed as the Mandarin. So, you mm. know, sitting in the cinema when it suddenly revealed that he's some alcoholic, you know, drug-addicted, struggling English actor called Trevor, Trevor Slattery, I... To be honest, I couldn't help but just laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, I did. I saw it in the cinema, and I wasn't annoyed at what they'd done uh, to the Mandarin. Mm. I was just like, "Yeah, mm. they got me. You really, it worked." Because, and also from then on, to me, all bets were off. Because yeah, I built exactly. in, I built in my head what I thought the film was going to be, what the what the the last set piece was going to be. Like Rob said, I was like, "How are they going to do the last fight scene with Ben Kingsley versus Iron Man?" I, I couldn't mm. quite figure out how they were going to do it suddenly all those preconceptions crumbled and I was like, where do we go from here? So, you know, even on future watches, it still works for me. Um, is there a more subtle way to introducing Trevor than him walking out of a bathroom going, I wouldn't go in there for half an hour. Maybe. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's just, um, but yeah, it's the equivalent of a boner joke, isn't it? Really? really, (laughs) Yeah, it, it really, Mm. I mean, I know I've said it a couple of times more for com- comedic value, but it, it kind of carried on the Austin Powers vibe, to be honest. Yeah, that, I'll, I'll give you that, actually. I disagree yeah, yeah, with every single would... time you've mentioned yeah. it, but that is very Austin Powers. <laughs> he was a stone's throw from yeah, baby. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. you know, the one thing about Trevor is that he's far from subtle. Um, you know, so maybe... But could they have not done it as like he was he was being held as like you know his in his own way as he was being forced to do it because Guy Pearce's character had something on him or whatever like you could have kept this that's the one issue I had with this film was it felt like every time it was getting to a really serious area mm-hmm. there'd be like a fart joke or a boner right. joke or the equivalent <laughs> yeah. of that would just completely splat it all the way back down to just like they do they do like to end scenes in this film with a big laugh yes and i'm not really i'm i'm not really into that and that's just a personal preference mm. to me and i think that's where like and that's been a bit of a thread throughout some of the earlier mm-hmm. ones we've watched as well it's just everyone has a different taste of humor yeah. you know and and may, maybe the more mainstream approach is that but for me mm. I just, I guess, I just, I, I just prefer more serious stuff. Yeah, well, we do have, I'd say, a couple of films coming up in the MCU when they decide to get a bit more experimental that I would say are flat-out comedies. So it's going to be really interesting. But if it's, but if it is a flat-out comedy, that's fine. You get that it's that tone, so you're right. prepared for it and you listen to it. Yeah. But the fact that like it kind of bounces between these quite you know, far ends of the scale mm-hmm. between something being serious and then comedy. When it's done well, I mean, in the Avengers, it, it felt like that was the time where they did it the best because the humour was more like, it was more them bouncing off each other mm-hmm. and like, you know, digging at each other and stuff. But whereas this, it was just like, it was something serious happens, let's throw a, it was almost like breaking the fourth wall a little mm. bit, like look at the camera and fucking whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. It just felt a bit too, a bit too mm. much for okay. me personally. Interesting. 
So after capturing Stark, Killian reveals he has subjected Potts to Extremis in the hope Stark will help fix Extremis's flaws whilst trying to save her. Because obviously everyone keeps imploding most of the time. So when Hansen betrays Killian by threatening to jeopardise his operations, Killian then kills her. Stark eventually escapes and reunites with Rhodes, discovering that Killian intends to attack President Ellis above aboard Air Force One, using the Iron Patriot armour controlled by Savin. Stark kills Savin, saving the passengers and crew, but he cannot stop Killian from abducting Ellis and destroying Air Force One. So earlier on, like I mentioned, I love Shane Black's use of henchmen. Because obviously henchmen are so overly used in action films. and yeah. He always tries to do something a little special with them sometimes. And I think it completely works here. So, you know, they've got that moment during his escape. Uh, Stark is just about to fire one of his blasters at a henchman. But just before he stops him and says the line, Honestly, I don't even like working here. They are so weird. And that completely works for me. It's one of the, my favourite parts of the film. And Tony just sort of waves him off. Uh, I think it's... Yes. Yes. Audio commentary. Whoa. Vibrato. Absolutely glorious. So if you want to do any producing with me, Colin, I'm... Yeah, mate. Yeah, you come over. I'll, I'll, I'll keep the mic set up, mate. Brilliant. Um... Yes, so that guy, the honestly, those guys are so weird um, bloke, is Mm -hmm. Tony, Tony, um, Robert Downey Jr.'s martial arts trainer and sort of fitness guy. He did sort of Um, have one of those wanky um, um, ponytails, didn't he? That sort of you find (laughs) sort of martial art dojo. (laughs) Yeah, so he's the guy that's um, sort of been training Robert Downey Jr. in his personal life and he managed to sort of get him a little part in the in the film excellent um so then let's talk about the set piece with tony rescuing all the people from air force one uh, because most of that is actually practical effects so they mm. are real stunt people falling down to the ground with some just as insane camera operators following them uh, i think it's one of the most visually stunning set pieces in the mcu i think you can barely you know see the strings so to speak um how did this sequence work for you boys I, I mean, I really like it. Just the whole sort of like monkey in a barrel idea and sort of Tony thinking on his feet, like he hasn't got a suit that could catch them all. He hasn't got, mm. he's got to, like, again, use his ingenuity. Um, and like you said, it's just visually interesting. And then the payoff at the end works for me. Yeah. The sort of, the, yeah, the reveal, I guess. He wasn't in the suit. So, but, but like we said, again, it ends it on that laugh with, the suit flying straight into uh, a lorry, and it turns out Tony was never there. But it's yes, it ends on a maybe a laugh, like a, a silly laugh, like Colin says. And um, but it's also quite a nice little misdirect. Um, oh, I really liked it. You like that bit? Yeah, I, yeah, I did. I did because I, I it, it got me. Mm. One bit that we just skipped over briefly. Did anyone give a shit that that mayor character got killed? It's very throwaway, isn't it? And I think the 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 rewrites sort of. There were apparently there were a lot of rewrites in this that um, sort of lessened her, which kind of leads me nicely into a. Yes, on fire. Audio commentary facts. (laughs) Radio two are going to come calling. Yeah, mate. I know. I know. I've lost the fact. I found it. I found it. <laughs> so there's a moment earlier in the film where uh, Maya and uh, Pepper 
are sat on a bed and they're talking about why she's interested in science and they talk about the creation of the A-bomb and the moral implications of that and how creating something scientifically brilliant can also be dangerous and that kind of thing. Mm. Apparently they had to really fight for this scene to remain in the film because they, they wanted it to stay in because it's a good example of passing uh, what me and George spoke about on our podcast a few times, the, the Bechdel test, which is to have two women in a film have share a scene in which they do not talk about the lead man or, in fact, hmm. really any man. Hmm. And it, it's just two women talking about what they do and having an, a, you know, a nice bit of dialogue. So I'm glad that they fought for that to be in. It wasn't all about, oh, so you've dated Tony before and yeah, I'm dating yeah. Tony. What's Tony like? It was just a conversation but yeah i found it interesting that that managed to stay in but it implies that a lot of other maya related stuff yeah when rebecca hall um signed on for the film she actually signed on to be the villain she was gonna she oh, thought man, she was going to that? play the mandarin and then obviously it kind of changed um so i think that i read somewhere that drew pierce and shane black did say they would try and Feel more scenes about mm. her character in there, try and flesh her out a little bit more. And that scene is a really, really nice scene. Um, but yes, I completely agree. Once that bullet is in her head, that's it. Like, yeah. that's it. I don't think we even get like a little, there's nothing like a nice little pay- payoff to it, really. It's, um, I mean, I like the, the moment before she is shot where Tony's talking about. The fact that she's, you know, what she's doing. And he says, well, now I, I go to the woman I sleep next to still has a soul. I thought that yeah. was a real nice line. But then mm-hmm. again, it's, I mean, yeah, we kind of skated over because how impressive the, the plain set piece is. But I really love the set piece that comes before it where Tony's on the bed and he's like, he's got the one hand and one mm-hmm. yeah, alternate hand and boot. And he's sort of flipping around the room and sort of just yeah. the, the, the physics of that whole set and it's got more of those sort of weird henchmen yeah and he's like oh how far is it from here to here and he knows the math the math he goes oh yeah i'm, I'm good with this yeah i'm stuff. good with this yeah it's really <laughs> odd yeah, what yeah. Was that? i love all those sort of, but then again now colin said it that's a little austin powers doing uh, a meta go, look at <laughs> henchmen if you remember from austin powers one we we spent a good five minutes going cutting away to it henchmen's friends and family yeah. when they find out that they've been shot. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> kind of reminds me of that. Mm. Yeah, okay, I can see that. So, uh, they trace Killian to an impounded damaged oil tanker where Killian intends to kill President Ellis on live television. The Vice President will become a puppet leader following Killian's orders in exchange for extremists to cure his young daughter's disability. Now, on the platform, Stark works to save Potts as Rhodes goes after the President. Stark summons his remaining Iron Man suits, controlled remotely by Jarvis, to provide air support. Rhodes secures the President and takes him to safety, while Stark discovers Potts has survived the extremist procedure, but before he can save her, a rig collapses around them and she falls to the platform below, causing Stark to believe that she is dead. Stark fights Killian, but finds himself cornered. Potts, whose extremist powers allowed her to survive her fall, intervenes and kills Killian to save Stark. So I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is going to be here. But Colin, did you believe for one second that Pepper was dead? No. Okay, I thought so. Um, because okay, may- maybe for about half a second. Half a second. Ah, 
okay. As she as she was falling in the air, I was like, oh, fuck, they're killing her? And then she hit the ground. I was like, hold on a sec. She's just been pumped full of all that shit. Right, she? She'll be fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, I agree, you know, whether or not as an audience we believe it. And um, uh, to me, it's still pretty effective, mainly thanks to the performances of Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr. in that scene as well. Mm. So, mm. shit, we haven't really discussed her yet. So, Gwyneth Paltrow, we've mentioned, we've talked about her in every single Iron Man episode so far. So, Colin, how was she in Iron Man 3? I enjoyed her in Iron Man 2, apart from just the kiss at the end, which was kind of irritating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it sort of felt like it was a, a steady a steady pace from that, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Good, yeah, I, I somewhat agree. So, Rob, this last set piece, um, were you bored of all mm-hmm. the action by now, or did they save the best till last? I do really like the action set piece. I like the build-up to it as well. The Pepper Potts thing... Mm. I don't know why they sort of confirmed that it worked on her before she fell. Because if you didn't know it worked and she fell and then she walked out of the flames later on, you're like, oh, holy shit, it worked. Rather than, oh, we know she's safe. Mm-hmm. I like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that is my sort of one bit that annoys me. But I really enjoy, I think, Rody and... Tony gets some good moments mm-hmm. in this building up to this sequence, and it feels very lethal weapon style, mm-hmm. which is obviously Shane Black. Which is Shane Black, but has that kind of buddy cop. Kind I love of when they're when they're it. ducking for cover, and Stark says, yeah. I'll, "I'll take a look," and he quickly pops his head up and come back down, and Rose says, <laughs> yeah, "How many?" Yeah, and he was yeah. like, "I don't know. It was too quick. <laughs> Nothing too quick." And when he he, take, he's, he takes a shot, and he was like, I, "I almost got one of them," and he was like. If you yeah, if you were trying to kill the glass, <laughs> just there's lots of nice little moments, and it shows, you know, that Tony isn't hasn't got that military training, and mm. he is sort of flying by the seat of his pants a lot of the time. Whereas Rhodey has a skill set that, you know, obviously has its purposes. Yeah, from time to time. Mm. Um, I I mean, I liked all the suits coming, and sort of the jumping between suit to suit, and oh. Rhodey not being given one. I love that. And just sort of seeing what all the different ones did as well. It was just mm. pretty cool. I like the prodigal son returning. That moment was really cool. Yeah, the old suit coming back. Yeah, like, it felt it felt nice. There's been a lot with that suit, I think, in throughout the, throughout the story. That suit has become a, a, a big plot thread, even to the point where Harley says, like, we can't charge it, and Tony has another panic attack. So mm-hmm. He's like, without the suit, he feels like he's nothing. Yeah. So that coming back, despite being hit by a lorry and him riding it off, was quite a nice little mm-hmm. beat, I thought. Yeah, so um, what about you, Colin? This this massive final action set piece uh, at the uh, at the port, shall we say. Um, like, I was, I'll ask you the same question I asked, I asked Rob. Were you bored by all the action so far? Or, yeah, again, did they save the best till last? Uh, I, I don't know if they saved the best or last, but at the same time, I wasn't bored by this point. Mm. I, there, there, there were a lot of the elements in it that I enjoyed. I, I did like all of the suits coming out. I think I would have preferred it if you'd seen a little bit more of the spe- like the individual suits because it was all happening quite fast. Mm. And like some of them, you just saw it for a split second. And I don't know, it would have been maybe nice if they had just honed in mm. on two or three of them and had a little bit more time mm. with each of them. Yeah, you've got um, like the drill one, and you know, and you've got one yeah. that sort of splits into bits, and one that's like almost Hulk sized, isn't there? Like that sort of lifts up the. Thing. Yeah, I, th- I, I think, um, and again, like this is just me being a miserable bastard. Some of the times with with these set pieces or these action sequences, 
it can just get so far-fetched beyond the point of like, you know, when they're like flying around mid-air and being caught by certain things or like one of them falls and they just dramatically land on a big metal like slide and then carry on right. going, you know, like there were parts of that that were a little bit, come on, man, mm. let's just keep it real a bit. Um, but then, you know, you're watching a Marvel film, so you have to kind of put all that shit to the back yeah. of your head, which is something that I still struggle with to a mm. point. Um, I did really like... Pepper Potts getting the final, the final blow. Yeah. Um, you know, I really enjoyed there that. There were some typical nice, fanboys nice that touch. didn't like that, but screw them. Yeah. 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 Get them a room with old Ike Perlmutter <laughs> and just fuck them all up. They can play with their Aldrich Killian action figures. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Shove them up their arses. So, <laughs> um, I... <laughs> You know, I adore this set piece. I think it's quite strange that um, all the all the kind of things that Collins listed that he doesn't like in set pieces, all the things I do kind of love. I love this, or what was happening. Um, I love that uh, all the stakes were constantly changing. You know, we've we've got to save the president. Uh, Pepper's also in danger. Killian's pretty much invincible by this point and just sprouting new limbs. Um, we've got other henchmen now thought of extremists as well. They're both after Rhodey and Stark. It somehow even gets even better once Stark's uh, suits join the party as well. And, you know, I love the moments with, with Stark, you know, jumping off of platforms only then to jump into another suit or ejecting out of suits in order to propel him to a different platform. Uh, I love it. And it all comes back around to what I said earlier, that Tony is Iron Man even without the suits, because in, in this final scene, uh, he's using the suits here in clever ways, not just to fight, they're, they're, they're props to him in the fight scene as well. And uh, all works for me, I'm afraid. So, Don't be afraid, mate. Well, I'm not afraid, no. <laughs> as a sign, you should be. Colin's going to get you. Yeah. <laughs> as He's going to be like that Iron Man suit over, <laughs> over Tony and Pepper tonight. As you battle not off and he stood there. Austin oh. Powers. <laughs> Fucking Christmas. So, <laughs> as a sign of his devotion to Potts, Stark then orders Jarvis to remotely destroy all of the Iron Man suits. The Vice President and Slattery are arrested, and Happy awakens from his coma and watches Downton Abbey. Bless him. Um, with Stark's help, uh, Potts' extremist effects are stabilised, and Stark promises to scale back his life as Iron Man even undergoing surgery to remove the shrapnel near his heart and throwing his obsolete chest arc reactor into the sea. He muses that even without the technology, he will always be Iron Man. So like I said, to me, this is all about that first, one of the first lines in in the narration where Tony says, um, you know, we all create, we all make our own demons. So we've got Iron Man 1, Tony faces his own demons because of the weapons he used to create and maybe not entirely caring too much as to who they got sold to iron man 2 demons sort of created by his his dad um his father and the stark name and it's all about the stark legacy and the stark and an ego and here in iron man 3 you know he creates a villain out of killian let's just hope if we do see stark again he's finally at peace and in his words just stops creating his own damn demons so colin at this point do you even want an iron man 4 is there room for further stark adventures do you think his arc is complete because you know, like I just said, the arc reactor in his heart is gone. His suits are gone. He's happy with Pepper. Do we need more? This final scene was just utter 
Hollywood vomit-inducing <laughs> shite. I hated every second of it. No. The fact that the suits turned into a firework display while they're cuddling and oh my god. I think he god, even man. says Merry Christmas. Oh, it's just too much for me. It's just the most on-the-nose, happy ending. Let's all go home and fucking... The world is amazing and everything's sorted. Let's wrap it all up with a perfect little bow yeah. on a, on a let's present. Do, let's and all I give each it. other the fuck eyes. And yeah, let's just go on <laughs> and give each other the fuck eyes. It was... Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I really, really, really did not like the end Ooh, of this film. This episode is... Definitely getting an expletive rating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, man. Like, I feel bad, but at the end of the day, we are doing a recap um, podcast about these films, so I have to be honest. And yeah, this ending made me angry. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you would have liked Colin want, Brain when he's angry. <laughs> I don't want to see an Iron Man 4, mm-hmm. but I do want to see Iron Man come back in the Avengers, and I want to see him get the shrapnel back in him somehow, get that fucking <laughs> fire under him. Or whatever, like he needs to. If he's coming back, which I know he does, he definitely does. He needs to come well, back. And, I don't want him to come back and be this fucking. Oh, oh I've got all, oh peppers at home making me dinner. I've got to be home at five. You know all that kind of shit, like everyday bullshit. I want him to come back and and be Iron Man. You yeah. know. So, it, 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 if if this was the end uh-huh. and Iron Man never came back, then it's horrific. <laughs> horrific. Um, so Rob, a bit about Starks arc as a whole over the whole iron man trilogy you know and avengers um Mm. did they do the character justice does the arc as a whole work yeah i think i i I found something out today in fact from the audio commentary (laughs) i don't know what for that one wow (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to everyone who has that in their headphones right now. No one is going to... Like, as Colin said, many a person has just pooed on the trail. Yeah, we need like a nappy advisory at the beginning of this one. <laughs> um, the original end line for this film was going to be, I am Tony Stark. Oh, okay. No, okay. It's nice, but is it still... Is it as good as I am Iron Man? Colin? I think him accepting that Tony Stark is what makes Iron Man, it still works, but I kind of think that, you know, it, you know it's, it, it's, they serve the same purpose. He's saying, I, Tony Stark, am Iron Man. Mm. Oh, yeah. That still works, but I, I quite like the idea of him putting himself completely ahead of the suits yeah. and being like, I'm Tony Stark. Yeah, I'm, I keep sort of going back and forward on what I think, but I, I can't admit the ending... I enjoy it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on a different, you know, opinion to Colin, but that's what I love about this podcast yeah. is that if it was all just us sitting there, you know, gushing about the films all the time, it'd be boring and yeah. same with life, really. It's good to hear different perspectives. Yeah. But, um... Oh. Happy Hogan watching Downton Abbey was not originally the choice that was made. Uh, how was dare you? Happy how Hogan. dare you? You did... Oh, is that his trivia? No, he's done. He's oh, done okay. the. Oh, he didn't yeah. tell us why, the why. Why? Why is there a trumpet? I'm losing my voice. <laughs> Audio commentary. Facts. Oh, he's losing the voice. He's gone a bit. Yeah. Oh. And it was also yeah. My son's asleep next door. So. <laughs> we've gone from <laughs> we've, we've gone from himself. death metal to smooth jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm, nice. 
Yes, so Happy Hogan was originally going to be watching UFC. He was going to be a fan of fighting, so obviously his character comes from fighting in the um, comics. And they kind of hint at it in Iron Man 2. Um, but it was actually old Johnny Favs that suggested Downton Abbey because he's a massive fan of the show. Yeah, it would have been a bit on the nose as well because he played a character in Friends. Who, in Friends, yeah. right? Yeah, we mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. I like the Downton thing. I think it, it, I think it works. Yeah, and I, you know, I like that. Um, it's Robert. It's Tony Stark when he first get when uh, Happy first gets put in hospital. That he, it's Stark sitting there next to him telling the nurse he likes Downton Abbey. <laughs> what is because he, of the elegance? He thinks yeah. it's elegant. I love that. It's really yeah. nice. So uh, let's get on to ratings. I guess this one's going to scare me. So as always, uh, check the episode. What did you think, though, mate? What did you think to the end, oh, the end um, sort of scene? Works that? for me. Um, I absolutely love the bit where he blows up all the suits and they look like fireworks. I think it's a beautiful shot. Um, and there's a little bit of Christmas music in the background. <laughs> all works for me. I I think it's... I think, I think I'm just a miserable <laughs> bastard. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I mean... I, I love that he throws the arc reactor into the sea at the end. Uh, I, you know where his where his mansion was because it shows that, you know, he's completely maybe even moved on from that as well. Uh, it, and you know it. But were you not? But, but like, I think one of the things that maybe and was slightly even more annoying was the thought of like, oh, Iron Man's done. Mm. You know, like I don't want him yes. to be done. I'm enjoying him as a character. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where some of the frustration com- can- yeah. comes from. And did you guys yeah. not think that when you were watching it? Did you not think like, oh man, I don't want him to be yeah, done? Yeah, of like, course. It's a lovely way to tie it all up, but at the same time, I want to see. It's him, always like, sad, you know, doing his. It's thing. always sad losing a character, um, but it all depends. You know, do they do it? Do they do the exit justice? And. Yeah, but we know he's coming back in the Avengers, and if he wasn't... Well, we didn't know by then. Wouldn't no, that be We didn't know by then. We knew that his contract had expired. So that was a big thing going into Iron Man 3. Oh, okay. So they, like, no one knew at that no, point. No, no. All we, all we oh, okay, knew was okay, that right. his, yeah, yeah, his contract yeah. had expired, and this was his last film in the contract. So, you know, a lot of people going into that, and, you know, he's finally going up against the Mandarin. The question was, is he going to die in this film? Because, you know, we didn't quite know what was the... But then, obviously... They did announce the this little contract extension and things like that, you know, a few months after this was released. So um, we knew that okay, he so hadn't signed yeah. on for a film after this, but there was definitely options. So, um, okay. yeah, I mean, it, it, it all works for me. So, uh, uh, yeah, so check the episode to just the episode description, everyone. Uh, we have a, a letterboxed account, so you can follow all of our ratings, which we give at the end of each film. So then by the end of this wonderful experiment, um, Rob... Me and Colin will all have our own like whole ratings of the of the MCU so far, ranked from best to worst. So, out of five, I'm going to ask Rob first. Hmm. I hmm. I think I'm going to go with. Oh, I think. <laughs> I'm going to go with four. Mm. With No, actually, now I'll go with what I wrote down. I wrote down 4.5 because I think it's equally as good as The Avengers mm. for me. But there was elements of it that I felt felt a bit convoluted and sort of a bit muddled with execution sometimes. Mm. And I also don't think a lot of the elements I really like in terms of 
delving into the anxiety and things, they wouldn't exist without Avengers, so I can't give it more than Avengers, personally. Cool. Colin Brain, out of five. Two and a half. <laughs> It's so bland. I love it. Um, excellent. So disappointed then? Yeah, disappointed. Okay, no, I'll take it. Um, I, You know when we also don't be afraid? I am, I'm quite afraid now. Because to me, it's my first five out of five. For... Oh, you're fucking kidding me. <laughs> it is. Um, no way is this better than uh, The Avengers. Come on, man. Well, this is, right, this is weird. To me, The Avengers is more rewatchable. So I could pop on The Avengers any day of the week and I'll watch it all and I'll have the time of my life. If I, I couldn't watch Iron Man three every single day. I couldn't, but do I prefer it as a whole? Yes. So it's a five out of five for me. I'm so Colin is shaking his head. Everyone sitting back in disbelief. No, man, you do. If that's what you're thinking, that's great. Thank you very much. Um, So uh, let's start wrapping this bad boy up. So we're on to trivia competition time you know too much for your own good now that's what i call using the old head so who is going first colin you decide who goes first Mm, let's hear george okay so shane black is obviously one of the writers here and one of his heroes now this may or may not have inspired also because he did some script work for iron man 2 as well um the set piece in iron man 2 where he's at the monaco grand prix now one of uh, shane black's heroes is the formula one racer have you ever heard of him uh ayrton senna no so he um basically was is one of the greatest formula one drivers of all time um prick (laughs) is that the same as yours (laughs) Um, so um, as a bit of a tribute and what he did he actually uh, unfortunately died during one of his races as well in Formula 1 and um, at his funeral uh, there is a heartbreaking photograph of um, Vivian Senna uh, his wife Um, she Oh, was there a documentary it's made called about Senna? Movie? Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah, it's good. Very, very good. I do, yeah, I do know it now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What she did, she she grabbed his helmet and put it against her face um, as a little goodbye to him. Now, um, as a tribute to Ayrton Senna himself, uh, they actually had Pepper Potts mm, do that as yeah. well. So um, just when she thinks that, obviously, that Tony is dead, she grabs the Iron Man helmet and touches it to her head doesn't kiss it just leans on it on the head and that was a tribute to um yeah formula one world champion Ayrton Senna that's really nice that's mm. beautiful mate yeah it would have been really nice if I could I should have asked you first shouldn't I love <laughs> no that's alright it's fine I do believe it backup. wasn't actually his wife I think it was his sister that did that interesting oh. just going to throw that out there okay, okay. um so I'm going to, this other fact, I was going to lead with this, and then Colin started talking about his views on this episode, and I thought, maybe I won't go for this fact. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to go for You're it. You're only going to go for it because I've got yours. For, no, I'm going for it because I'm brave. <laughs> and brave. Bold. <laughs> so, the director, Shane Black, is also a very famous writer, has written a lot of films as well. And uh, as Colin noticed, and this film is set at Christmas. Now, this is a director trait. 
of Shane You'll Black's. be very brave and bold. That I'm is going very brave. I'm going for Fucking it. Fucking I love it. He's... <laughs> His films include Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Lethal Weapon, The Last Boy Scout, obviously Iron Man 3, The Long Kiss Goodnight, Last Action Hero, which he wrote, I think, the first draft for, mm. and The Nice Guys all feature either moments at Christmas or fully set at Christmas. Now, he said of his reason why, someone asked him why he did this, he said, Christmas is fun. It's unifying and all your characters are involved in this event that stays within the larger story. It roots it, I think, and it grounds everything. At Christmas, lonely people are lonelier, seeing friends and family go by. People take reckoning. They they stock of take stock of their lives, where their lives are at Christmas. It just provides a backdrop against which different things can play out but with one of those unifying global heading. I've always liked it, especially in thrillers for some reason. It's a touch of magic. Now, he goes on to say, I also think that Christmas is just a thing of beauty, especially as it applies to places like Los Angeles, where it's not so obvious and you have to dig for it like little nuggets. One night on Christmas Eve, I walked past a Mexican lunch wagon serving tacos and I saw this little string and on it, it was a broken plastic figurine with a light bulb inside it of the Virgin Mary. And I thought that's just a little hidden piece of magic, you know, all around the city are little slices, little icons of Christmas that are of are as effective and beautiful in and of themselves as any 40 foot christmas tree on the lawn of the white house Mm. so that is why he likes setting films at christmas arguably quite a lot of research went into that i even researched george's answer (laughs) i'd just like to say one last thing during the during a little break we took there did a little google vivian uh, center definitely his sister Oh, that changes everything. It doesn't change. Well, it does. One, you won't marry your sister, do you? Well, still. Well, you've never been to North. (laughs) Changes that story quite a lot. It's even even sadder, if anything. Yeah, it's a very beautiful story. Um, She's probably told. I mean, I I don't, I don't, I don't like Shane's um, reasoning for the Christmas thing. I lived in Southeast Asia for two and a half years and Christmas isn't as, it's not Christmas the same way that we think it is mm-hmm. over here. So I don't think that that runs true. But, you know, I get what he's saying, but it's not. I don't agree with it and George gets the point. It's as simple as that. <laughs> I mean, personally, I think his trivia was wrong because he didn't research it. <laughs> Even though it was wrong, I still preferred it. Wow. Oh my God. I mean, it was it was brave and bold. I mean... You you were giving Christmas trivia to Scrooge then. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I I, I, I admire the uh, the balls. Yes, I'd rather, I, no, I I admire it. It's nothing against Rob, not at all. I I'd rather it. give correct it. trivia twice <laughs> than uh, incorrect <laughs> trivia once. Is how I live my life. I see, <sighs> I see. This trivia is yeah, getting interesting. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, that's if we don't even know who's winning. So let's. <laughs> 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 we'll, we'll let you know yeah, next week. Yeah. Um, so. Another week and another film down in this adventure. Colin, any idea where we're going next? Mm, I imagine we'll be on to the next movie of another adventure. I don't think I'm getting introduced to any new sort of superheroes Mm. just yet. So it's going to be one of the other dudes, maybe Captain America 2 Mm. or um, Thor 2. So how does another trip to Asgard sound? Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's right. Next week, we are watching Thor 
the dark world. Whoa. Okay. So that's another week. As always, it's been a pleasure, boys. Rob, say goodbye. Goodbye. Colin, say goodbye. 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 Next time we meet, let it be in peace and friendship. This is as far as you're going to get tonight. Such valuable stuff. All in a nice work. Sweet dreams, little friends. And we're not quite done yet. Yes, of course, we have the obligatory post-credit scene. We've actually double-checked if Colin saw this one. He did. Um, so this is the only Marvel film to be told in flashback. And we realised that it wasn't just it wasn't Tony Stark telling the story to us, but instead he's telling the story to his now good friend Bruce Banner, who has fallen asleep during Tony's story. We did tell you, Colin, to expect him anywhere. Yes, even in Iron Man 3's post-credit scene. Uh, disappointed we didn't get the actual Hulk, I'm assuming, or are you still just as happy to see Mark Ruffalo, albeit very briefly? Yeah, it was nice. It was a nice um, palate cleanser after the uh, throwing up session I had from the last scene of the oh. movie. So yeah, it was, uh, it was nice. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, but I'm pretty sure, just before we uh, started recording this little segment here, that you went, oh shit though, wasn't it? Well... It was shit in terms of it didn't really it wasn't like the other ones where it's like teasing you it's dropping you something new that you're kind of like oh that's interesting what yeah. does that mean who's mm-hmm. this character where's this going next it was I mean maybe shit was a bit bit harsh but clearly I'm in that kind of mood tonight um, <laughs> but yeah I mean it was yeah it was fine mm. it, it was nice to see him I think it would have been weird yeah, to maybe tease something <clears throat> if the whole last five minutes is about this is the end of Iron Man yeah but then it could have been a like a but is it I, I agree, I agree. Um, Rob, any thoughts on the post-credit scene? Well, me and you are both a bit iffy with voiceover sometimes. Mm. So it it felt nice that they used the voiceover we've been hearing as like he's been talking to, it, it furthers their, their relationship, so we know they're friends. And, you know, I, I, I like the whole, like, I'm not that kind of doctor mm-hmm. moment, and he hasn't got the right temperament for mm-hmm. it. They're good jokes. I liked it. That'll do. <laughs> I, I, I think even at the at the time, I wasn't upset. It wasn't setting up mm-hmm. more. I don't think. But but then I think like I'd been sort of reading like you had been reading all the contract stuff. So it was like just kind of accept. I, I mean, I was always happy to see Bruce Banner. Again, yeah, of course. Because- yeah, it's always a pleasure to see Mark Ruffalo. So uh, yes, like I said, that is another week. So thanks for listening again, everyone. Uh, stay safe, stay well, and stay nerdy.